and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, and on this episode, we're joined by our panel of writers, Lee Ryder, Mark Douglas, Kieran Kelly, and special guests John Gibson and Simon Bird of the Daily Mirror. We discuss everything to do with Newcastle United, including the takeover saga, the transfer window, Steve Bruce, and the season ahead. It's a very special episode, so please do remember to like and subscribe. Quick note, this was originally recorded as a Facebook Live event. And as ever the risk with the live broadcast, we do have the troublesome internet connection demons. And that does happen once or twice in this episode where some of our panel do have to drop out because then a connection does. But don't worry, they get back in just as quick. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, chaps. How are we doing? Too bad. Hey, man. How are you doing? Now, this is the most we've ever had in, had in this studio. So I'm not sure how it's going to go, but it looks all right so far. We um, will admit Lee when he arrives. Um, obviously, he's had a, a busy day like the rest of us as well. Um, we'll start, guys. Um, I suppose with the big news of the last 24 hours, we thought we were going to have a lot to talk about with transfers and what have you. Um, and then, as typical with Newcastle, came some more drama. Um, Mark, I'll go to you first. When that statement dropped yesterday, what did you make of it? Uh, the statement from Newcastle regarding the takeover. Well, the first thing I thought was um, it was it was extraordinary intervention by by Mike Ashley, given that the club haven't said anything at all up until this point. Um, I think the first thing that we all saw was that you know that, that, you, that I felt was was uh, significant was the fact that um, you know there had been there was actually. Richard Masters was personally um, pulled out in the statement. I also felt that the, the talk about legal options as well um, was a clear threat as well. But then I think the more and more you, you kind of saw that statement, and it's easy to say now because it's framed by what the Premier League said as well, but it's, it's, um, it was ambiguous. It, it wasn't clear exactly what was um, exactly what, what was meant by it. And I think the Newcastle haven't clarified it in any way today, even, even after the Premier League have said their piece as well. Um, so I think... You know, originally I thought it shows that this takeover is not over, which I think we, we all knew anyway. I, I think there's been a lot of written and said today about it not being over. I think, it, I think it's clear that there's still, still some, um, some way to run on it. Um, but, it, you know, it, it doesn't really clarify anything. And I think, you know, at least now I've seen a lot of criticism on, on Twitter of people saying, you know, well, what is actually going on? Why can nobody tell us what's going on? Well, I think the two statements that we've had in the last 24 hours illustrate exactly why there's no clarity. Newcastle United formally in a statement saying something that is then rejected by the Premier League a few hours later. So, you know, and then we've heard a lot of claims today that supposedly the deal was going to get done on Tuesday. Um, but what had actually changed? You know, I haven't seen anything anything in the la- in anything in any of the statements that suggest that anything had changed markedly from what was said in July. It's all very well having discussions behind the scenes. But the big issue that was the problem in July hasn't changed, which is that the fifth don't agree with what the Premier League believe about who will who would be um, effectively the owner of Newcastle United. So a lot of noise, but has it actually changed that much? We know that they still want to do the deal, um, but we know that the Premier League at the moment can't accept the way it is. So, um, you know, again, a lot of noise, I think, but without necessarily too much having changed from July. 
Uh, Simon, what what was your take? I mean, the statement was quite, uh, how do we say, we're brutal in a way that Newcastle won. It called out Richard Masters um, and the Premier League's reply wasn't exactly lacking punch either. No, it's a fairly remarkable situation to have the Premier League officially calling Newcastle United owner and, and one of his shareholders, uh, Mike Ashley, a liar. And that's what they've done, that's what they've done today. Um, it, it, the two statements directly contradict each other, like Mark said. Um, and Newcastle, in that statement, and I, I tried to check it last night, they, they said that they failed, they've been failed, the takeover had been failed on the ownership and directors test. And clearly the Premier League are saying that is absolute rubbish. It hasn't reached test stage. Um, and that's been the situation since, well, since it was first uh, installed indefinitely back in, um, back in July. So it is a remarkable situation to be in, and it's really hard to see how it gets unblocked. Um, I, I don't understand how Newcastle in that statement and Magashi uh, and the consortium trying to buy the club. I don't understand how they can claim that the PIS is independent of the Saudi government. It clearly isn't. It's got seven. It's got the chair. It's got the Crown Prince bin Salman as, as the chairman. It's got seven Saudi ministers uh, on its board. Um, its statement on its website say that it's there to do the bidding, do the financial investments for the country. So the, if the consortium are going to keep banging on and Mike actually saying that this is all, this is it, this group is independent of the Saudi government, well, it's clearly not. Which, and I know why they're doing that, and they're doing that because if they, if they put the Saudi government on the board, then the piracy comes into play um, and maybe human rights, but probably the piracy which the Saudi government have failed uh, failed to give the Premier League avenues to go through their courts to correct the piracy which has happened on Saudi's watch in their nation uh, of Premier League games and, and dozens of other sports as well and BBC Worldwide, etc. All their content has been ripped off by the Saudis on their watch. Uh, and if that comes into play, then the Premier League could then fail it. So it's, it, it, we're going around in circles. It's really frustrating. Um, Mark's tweet earlier in the day when we had a week of covering Newcastle and a lovely day yesterday in the morning interviewing players hearing about how serious they are with their, about their jobs how delighted they are to be at Newcastle looking forward to the new season and then we get dragged in the last 24 hours back to square one uh, and all the rancour and bitterness and division and confusion of this takeover of this takeover bid and it is confusing we can't say where it's going to go next they haven't given up clearly um, my, my suspicion is that they're very wealthy conservatives behind this bid and conservative donors. Um, and this is going to get political. There's, there's reports today that there's been shuttle diplomacy in Whitehall. Um, that's what donations um, to the Tory party wheels, I would have thought. So if the government are starting to get involved, maybe they'll be arm twisting um, at Premier League level and at government level. But we don't know where it's going to take. I, I mean, I would bet that Steve Bruce will be in charge and might actually by at Christmas, but we, we just don't know. Joined now by Lee Redderley. We're just talking about the last 24 hours, the typical rollercoaster of Newcastle United. How would you sum it up? Well, typical Newcastle United is exactly the right uh, phrase, I think. Uh, it could it could only happen in Newcastle. And it, and the, 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 the first club who failed this, um, and it's, yeah, it, it's just... Peak Mike Ashley, um, bit of a comedy show yesterday, I think, from the owner. You know, you had that great media day yesterday. The media staff done fantastic to get it all organised, get everyone in, all the safety precautions. 
unveil all three signings. It, it was, you know, it was exciting. It for a minute you were thinking about football, and then obviously we left the the training ground, and all hell breaks loose. Mike Ashley's back in town, out having a meal or a drink, whatever, and then the next thing we see this statement, which has proved to be incorrect, and the Premier League have basically come out and smashed right back at him. So, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a real soap opera, unfortunately. But we've been here before, and I'm sure we'll be here again under this owner because um, it's just a competition of how many crazy things he can do as owner. Kieran, what did you make of the timing? Because it's been such a positive week. You know, as a fan, genuinely excited for the season to kick off. We've signed three quality players this week, and there was positivity. I was busy playing five aside with a few lads last night, and we were just talking about how excited we are for the season to kick off. We get back to the car and it's like, wow, okay. And then we're back into this drama and takeover saga. What did you make of the timing? Yeah, it's weird. I think it's Mike Ashley's birthday as well, which is really bizarre. Yeah, you have it. <laughs> I don't know why he'd want to do that on his birthday. But uh, yeah, it's it's like like everyone said. I mean, um, we've been used to kind of Mike Ashley's statements over the years that every money, every penny generated uh, would be spent. And it was weird seeing a statement without that. Um, but yeah, I've, I found it really bizarre. I mean, he's had so much time before this, wherever he's been in the world, to to comment, and it almost felt not a massive coincidence that you know it came a few hours after Richard Masters was put up before the media, you know, on Sky talking about it, saying he felt sympathy towards the Newcastle fans, and I think this was just a way for Ashley to confirm I guess that what we all know he is a willing seller now and that's been the one thing I think everyone can take from this that you know he does actually want to sell the club I think we doubted it for a long time but uh, you know a takeover was never closer uh, in the last 13 years and I know that's no comfort really to supporters but um, he's, he's he's so unpredictable and this statement just had his fingerprints all over it. and then I thought it was a bit bizarre that it came out through the club. I know they're a member club, but I've never really come across a club statement being so personal about the Premier League that you're literally mentioning Richard Masters. And obviously anyone who knows how these things work wasn't just Richard Masters himself. It's a Premier League board. There are other people involved who, for a reason, we don't know their names sometimes. But yeah, it was, it was actually bizarre. And, you know, the thing tomorrow is Bruce's first proper presser before the new season and I guarantee you within the first three questions he'll be asked about the takeover and that'll be a real frustration for him because I think this week would have felt like a normal Premier League club you know Newcastle were making signings there was a little bit of kind of direction um, you know people were thinking they can make a fist of a challenge for the top 10 I still think they can but it's just taken the story away already you know that you make three really positive signings and suddenly you're talking about something very different and John, what have you made of it? Obviously, you were involved when Sir John uh, wrestled control. Um, how how does that compare? I mean, this one's just kind of ran and ran and more twists and turns maybe than the one you were involved in, do you think, or nearly as many? It was a very different situation because you were buying up individual shares. It, it took two years for the John Hall one to be completed. It looks as if this is going to take just as long. I mean, I agree on the on the current situation. I agree with what Mark said right at the start. Literally, nothing's changed. The situation is exactly the same as it was, apart from the fact that we know absolutely 
direction of the Saudis to hang in there when a lot of people thought they would walk away, stop their hand, and that would be the end of it. They are hanging in there on the hope that it will still happen. And for once, in the Jordy public's mind, uh, they're on the side of Mike Ashley because Mike Ashley wants this to go through, wants to sell, and the supporters want Ashley out. So Ashley is not the villain of this piece. The villain of this piece to the to the Geordies is the Premier League. Um, but quite frankly, it's, as we've all said, a week ago, before the, all these transfers happened, we were in the depths of despair. We'd lost back-to-back friendlies against two championship sides, which almost went into League One last season. We had injuries to Dwight Bovda, um, they, We hadn't spent a penny in the transfer. We'd got free on loan, and it was all depression. We had a week. Uh, building ourselves. We went from being a relegation side to the entertainers in about seven days. No, we didn't quite, but that's the way it's been perceived by a lot of people. And then this comes along at the end. It is a great shame that it come along. I thought Newcastle's statement, like we all have said, was a stop because you just wondered why. Um, but that is typical. It's also typical that Mike Ashley will make a statement but never put himself in front of the press to actually answer questions as to why he feels. He has never done an open press conference. He's done selected press dealings with um, television people one-on-one where we suspect there's no challenge coming to him. So it, it, it's different, but it is sad that on the eve of a new season, we're talking about a takeover that hasn't actually changed when we should be talking about how good are the Newcastle signings and what difference are they going to make? We're going to go to a few questions then from our viewers. Mark, um, Dustin asks there, do you think they're going to go to arbitration? And if not, why wouldn't they? Um, the, the information that we got back in July was no, they wouldn't, um, because they believed that the arbitration was um, just a one narrow point and they didn't think that that was proper. Um, I, I kind of asked them again, you know, well, what, well, why wouldn't you, if you were confident that that it would pass, why wouldn't you? And, and it was just, we don't believe it's proper. It's the proper way of, of, of doing things. And they, you know, they backed up. This, they said, you know, we, we won't go to arbitration on one narrow point. Um, I think it's it's left to us to, to, to understand why they don't feel that. You know, I think if there was, you know, I would say if you were confident that you were going to pass it on arbitration, you were really confident of your case, Perhaps you would go to arbitration would be would be my thinking, but they are adamant that they don't believe that that is the way to the way things should be done. That is that that's their feeling, and you know I would I mean maybe the fact is that then they, they they believe that you know if they go to arbitration it it drags up. I mean Simon mentioned earlier the piracy thing, but it drags up a whole load of other things because you know you're suddenly the Saudi government in a British courtroom having your business raked over it's 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 uncomfortable for them i think that they believed if believed that it would go through 
I think they've been told that they feel that they had assurances before the process started that it would go through. Um, the Premier League said that that's not true, by the way. But, but I just don't think that arbitration, I think that it could, it could have ended up being a you know, process that revealed a little bit more than they maybe wanted to about the way that the PIF works. You know, it's a, it's um, they've done a lot of deals over in in the world, and this would be the, the one that's maybe exposed them to the most scrutiny. Um, and I just, I, I wonder whether. I mean, that's just me surmising. Their, their official reason is that they say that they, they said that, it, that you know they wouldn't go to arbitration on on one single point. They, they you know, they, they didn't rule out the, the idea of going to arbitration over the whole deal. Um, but I, I feel that, you know, it's very, uh, you know, you're talking about a society and a, a, and a, a way of, a, you know, a, a whole process with, with Saudi Arabia that is, you know, it's not, it's, it's pretty opaque. It's not, it's not open in the same way that the British government is, you know, whatever you think about the way that things have run here, um, you know, we have recourse, things are, things are nominally open um, and it's obviously not in Saudi Arabia. So I wonder whether that was, that was maybe one of the reasons why they, why they don't want to do that. Um, but, you know, I, what, me looking at it as a layman would say, if you're confident about your point, go to arbitration. And then the Premier League, to be fair, said, we don't agree with the idea that the uh, Saudi government wouldn't be running the Newcastle United. But if it goes to arbitration and we're proved wrong, we will accept that point. So I think that was something that was maybe a little bit inconsistent for me. Um, you know, and obviously I want the takeover to happen because I want Newcastle to be, um, to have the, have the resources that the, the, the Saudis were talking about. Um, but, you know, I, I think the more and more we found out about it, the more the less and less clear cut it maybe it maybe is as as, as we, we felt it was at first. And arbitration is one of the things I think that um, you know, I I still can't quite understand why um you know they, they haven't gone to it. I think we've all been told um by various people that, you know, they offered the highest assurances. Newcastle mentioned yesterday that they give evidence if the evidence Simon was that from the Royal Court of Saudi Arabia which you could probably argue that uh, the Crown Prince you know controls then the Premier League potentially have a have a reason for why they wouldn't take that as evidence don't they because you've been told by someone who you know by the person that you are trying to uh, distinguish if he's on the board or not well, they are the, the government members are on the are, are on the PIF board. It's on their website. You can look it up. And um, the Crown Prince is the is the chairman. Um, and if you're talking about court action in in Saudi Arabia, the Premier League will come straight back at them and say, "We tried nine times to take um, to take our case to court in Saudi Arabia against parity against BLQ, and the Saudi the Saudis blocked that. Now that's a huge huge problem." that the Premier League have had to encounter over the last two and a half years, their contact, content was being ripped off in Saudi Arabia via by, by Arab staff. The Saudi government were doing nothing to stop it. it it's possible that they even facilitated it and let it, let it go. Um, but that's not been found by the WTO. But it was happening in Saudi Arabia. The Premier League type tried to use the courts in Saudi Arabia and were blocked by the Saudi system. Now, the Saudis, they want to use their own court evidence to bolster the case to dig over Newcastle, it's a bit ironic that they want to they, they do that, having denied the, the Premier League access to all their their courts to sort out piracy. And the piracy people don't think they think it's a big issue, but in this pandemic, when clubs are losing millions of pounds, seven hundred million, um, Richard Masters said from. So we've just lost Simon Bird. There, we'll get Simon back in a moment. I'm sure he's about to make a very important point. Um, 
We'll go with you, Lee. Um, if they don't go to arbitration, then what happens next? Well, I just think it it becomes a, a an even messier situation for for Mike Ashley um, because once he's in a battle with somebody, he you know it it it, it gets difficult, doesn't it? And it, did the Premier League stop giving Newcastle as many games on TV? Anything could happen, and it's uh, it's a big worry for Newcastle fans because really it should be about football. It shouldn't be about politics and takeovers and you know that's not what attracted me to the football club when I first went up to St James Park it was you know it was to, to see to see football and second division you know even those days were very exciting to me um, and it wasn't about this and unfortunately that's the level that Mike Ashley's kind of dragged Newcastle in and while people will say oh he's made them stable and all that there's, the enjoyment just gets slapped out of your mouth when you go up to Newcastle you know it's like even you know, getting excited about doing a story about oh, they might invest a few more players. Suddenly, you're getting told no, no, we're, we're done, and it's just as I say, the enjoyments can get slapped away from you. I hope the players can go out and make a real good fist of it now and and really show the fans that that they are as up for this as they say they are, and they, they're as capable as they say they are because. Uh, I'm looking at that squad and I'm thinking that they've got a chance of having a decent season if they can get their act together. But if people are, people upstairs are, are, are going to keep picking fights and, you know, making a mess of it this way, then, you know, I, I do I do worry about the club. But there you go. Kieran, do you think that's it now and it'll go behind closed doors or it'll get called off? Or do you foresee a bit of war, uh, a war of words here? Uh, <laughs> I know which one I'd rather. I think I think it's in the interests of everyone now. If it is behind closed doors, as you said, you know, I I even think back to uh, was it January or February when the story came out in the Wall Street Journal, and I kind of thought whoever was responsible for that leak was that really in the best interest as well? You know, I think it was fair play to the fans and everyone else who had the company's house alerts a few months later. You know, it was ingenious, but I just think these things shouldn't be played out. I don't think this has been a good look for Newcastle. You know, as I said, a few days after the positivity of being aggressive in the transfer market, you have kind of the name being, uh, you know, dragged through the dirt a little bit because, you know, it's not just how this is perceived by the Premier League, it's how it's perceived by other Premier League shareholders, you know, chairman across the league. And um, I just don't think it's been a great look. And, you know, as we said, you know, the... You're going to the first game of the season. I guarantee you a lot of the lines tomorrow will be about the takeover rather than, you know, what style of place do Bruce wants to introduce? You know, is X person going to be fit to play? And, you know, that's not what you need before the start of the new season. And to be fair, I think the players you, you saw last season, they, they didn't really let it affect them. They've been in this kind of weird purgatory for so long now that, I don't think it'll have any real bearing on the, the team this season, but it's almost like every time you talk about Newcastle, you have to have that caveat of, oh, about talking about the takeover as well. And I just don't think that's healthy, is it? But it's a situation they're in, you know, uh, Mike Ashley's there um, <laughs> till otherwise. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a very unique club in so many ways, but this is a really bizarrely unique situation. Certainly is. I mean, John, the... A statement from Newcastle sort of suggested that legal action might be 
coming in, you know, considering all options, I think, was the line. But as Mark said before, it was it was typically vague, really, of Newcastle. It did pack some punch, but what would you like to see happen next? I'd like to see a takeover happen next. Uh, but I've been wanting to do that for 13 years, um, the, all of the Mike Ashley years. Um, to be brutally truthful, I am getting more and more of talking about football politics than talking about ball until I see what I've just seen with three players this week. They're decorated in black and white. Until I see that on a new owner, that's on the back burner for me. Why don't we talk about Newcastle United's coming season? Why don't we talk about the three signings? Why don't we talk about whether Newcastle are going to go down, going to be mid-table or going to go in, into Europe? Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we cheer ourselves, cheer all the Geordies up and talk about positively NUFC? Forget about it for a non-takeover. Forget that we're likely to have Mike Ashley for the full season. Put that on the back burner. It doesn't count, does doesn't matter, we don't care. Talk about Newcastle United. Got Simon Burr back there. His uh, his link went down. Would you like to finish your point, Simon? I think you were talking about parity. That's, that shut you up, didn't it? Well, I don't know what shut me up or who. <laughs> I don't know where I was on the point. Um, where, where was I? I, I don't know where, where you lost me. So You were, you were um, talking about how piracies cost money and, and in this pandemic, it's not something to kind of be... Yeah, pushed, yeah it's, it's a huge issue that the Premier League take very seriously and so do all the other Premier League clubs because in a pandemic, clubs are already losing £700 million in, in from having fans not, not at games. Um, and when they see their broadcast rights devalued um, in the Middle East and elsewhere by piracy, yeah. on the scale that has happened in, in Saudi Arabia, um, then Premier League clubs make less money. And the money they make from the Premier League deals, uh, when the, the, rights, the rights holders buy the, buy the shows um, to, show, to show abroad, and um, that filters back to Premier League clubs and, and pays wages and transfer fees. So that's why it's taken so seriously. And that's why it's been such a big issue at the heart of the whole takeover process. Mark, we've got a question here from Ian. Um, if the Premier League won't accept the word of the Saudi Royal Court, then whose word will they accept? Well, I mean, but that's the problem, isn't it? The, 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 who is going to... Who is going to be able to give those um, assurances? Because the problem with the Saudi Royal Court, if the Saudi Royal Court is part of the PIF, then they're going to say, a part of the PIF, then they're go- obviously they're going to say what they, what they, uh, what what is required the Premier League. But the Premier League can turn around and and, and at the same time say, well, they would say that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I understand Newcastle fans are frustrated by that, but I think that, I think it was a valid point for the Premier League to raise because you're dealing with a um, situation in Saudi Arabia that is quite uh, volatile. You know, we've, we, we, we've, you know we, the succession in Saudi Arabia hasn't been particularly um, without fraught with, uh, um, it's been fraught with some difficulties, hasn't it? I mean, I'm not going to get into some of those things because, um, you know, it's above my pay grade. It's not, it's not, it's not Newcastle United hamstrings and, and muscle strains, but, you know, let's be perfectly honest. If, 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 if something happens in Saudi Arabia where Mohammed bin Salman gets um, gets overthrown or something like that, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not supposing. But if that does happen, and Newcastle United is run by 
the state in Saudi Arabia, then, you know, obviously it's going to have an impact on, on how the clubs run. So I can understand why they would want, why they would want to have somebody who's accountable um, for that. Um, so, you know, it, it's a, it's a really difficult one. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think probably the answer was to go to arbitration because then somebody above the Premier League would have made the decision. Um, and that was, that, that was obviously their, um, their, their, their thinking as well. But yeah, I think that that's, that's a big problem, isn't it? That it's, it's been impossible to untangle the, uh, PIF from from the from the court, but if you speak to the people within the PIF, they will tell you, look, this is a total non-issue. So that's the problem, you know. If you if you speak to them, they will give you a really cogent explanation about why it's not why it's not an issue, about how other deals have worked and things like that. But you know, I, I don't, you know, I think look, none of us, none of the people watching this, none of the people on the panel can tell you how these things exactly how these things. Work. We, I didn't know anything about this until until this became an issue so i can't re reason for that um but you know I, I, all i would say is uh, all i would say is that you know I, I understand why they may not have seen that as a truly independent voice um but obviously it's it's it's, it's caused a big problem for the um for the takeover hasn't it? So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything Is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening. Lee, we've got a comment here from Joshua. And he says, the ironic thing was it was behind closed doors. They were working me in the background. And then Ashley's statement has blown up, blown it up again. Is that a, is that a valid point? Is is Why do you think Ashley chose to make, or Newcastle chose to make that statement last night? Do you think because things had just come to a head? And what, what, what do you think the reason was for that statement? Why yesterday? I think the big factor, from what I'm led to believe, from, from people in and around the Premier League, was that Richard Masters come on to TV and started saying he was had sympathy for for Newcastle fans and he was talking about transparency and you know complexities and all this kind of thing, and I just think it tipped uh, it tipped you know Mike Ashley over the edge and he's and he's un, unleashed this statement which I don't think they've thought it through properly and you know he's taken he really is taking on the big boys if he's he's taking on the Premier League Chiefs because, you know, you're biting the hand that, that feeds you almost. And uh, that's a big, it was a huge call. And just to win a petty battle, I just hope it doesn't come back to backfire on, on Newcastle. However, some fans may hope that, that it does. And, you know, this could maybe be the beginning of, of the end of Ashley and he, he drops his price and, and goes elsewhere. I mean, I, I certainly know a lot of loyal Newcastle fans who genuinely love the club, uh, but they would accept getting relegated uh, to get rid of Mike Ashley and I, I think that says it all I mean I personally I don't agree with that but to ex to watch your team drop down a division or two some, some radical fans I've spoken to, to to watch your team drop down a division to get rid of one man is a big big step but some people are prepared for that to happen and um, I, I personally think it's 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 a tough one but you know if you've got a new owner there's no there's never any guarantees is there um, but Look, at the end of the day, I just just think it was a it was a bad move 
taking on the, the big lads at the Premier League because uh, that could really come back to bite us now. Yeah, it's a case of, you know, is he trying to maybe railroad? He's trying to force the hand of the Premier League. The Premier League. Um, I think someone described them um, as a, a loan to their own, really. They're not, they haven't got anyone to control them, so they can kind of do as they please and they probably don't like to be bullied, I would suspect. Kieran, do you feel like we need to hear from the buy-in side or is is the is the, the best thing now to be quiet you think and just let it play out or do or, or do we need something to say look we're still working okay we're going to do this and that or no it's done it's dusted it, it's it's over now um i don't know i mean you had that emotional interview from amanda Stavely when it when they all withdrew and you know asking for the fans to they want this to be back on to do their bit and my god did the fans do their bit I don't think I've ever seen uh, you know it's such a bizarre situation where you've had buyers withdraw that the deal could be revived if the selling side wanted to happen the buyers want it to happen but obviously uh, the Premier League need to facilitate it and you know from from my point of view I, I would want rather than you know just to keep banging the drum the same way you know your head against the wall can they just look at it and think of a way around it you know rather than thinking the Premier League are the bad guys all the time and that it's their problem you know clearly there are issues with this deal and rather than taking the idea that you know the Premier League need to make huge compromises surely the buying side can look at it if they really want this club as desperately as they've maintained that they'd be willing to make those changes because as it stands, the deal just, it, as we've said, it's dead it, it can't go through the way it is. There are going to have to be changes to it. And it's just not good, I think, for for people's well-being that we're just going around in circles, as has been said. And, uh, you know, if we're, if we're you know, God forbid, but in a year's time, if we're still talking about the, the same scenario, um, you'd be awfully worried. You know, you would like to think if, if they are serious about this, they go away quietly, um, and put together a different package because I think it does depend on PIF. I think PIF are what makes this takeover a game changer, but clearly there are issues that are going to have to be addressed. And we've lost Gibbo there. I think everyone's going to drop out at some point. Um, so I'm sure he'll be back imminently. Um, Mark, I'm coming to you um, for the penultimate question then on the takeover. I saw again. Um, a few people asking... You know, how come other deals have gone through? A lot of people pointing to the Man City deal and people referencing the, the Sheffield United owner. Um, can you just shed any light on your understand your opinion on, on why maybe those deals are a little bit different? Yeah, well, Man City was obviously, they set up an investment vehicle, didn't they? So it was it was truly um, autonomous from um, the uh, the government because they it was, it was a separate entity. Um, so it wasn't being bought by... Um, it wasn't being bought by the government. It wasn't being bought by the government or anything tied to the government. It was being bought by something that was that was independent. It was a way, it was quite a clever way, actually, of of, of investing in in the football club. Um, Sheffield United um, simply, uh, although he is a member of the royal family, he isn't part of the government. He's um, he's a relative of well, you know, obviously the way that the royal family works over there. It's it's you know it's, it's different to the way the royal family works over here, obviously. But he isn't directly in charge of the government he's not you know he is an individual he is a wealthy individual basically that's that's the 
um, that's the way that he's um, he's viewed by the by the Premier League. You know, obviously he has um, he has ties to to the ruling royal family. Most wealthy people in Saudi Arabia, I would think, probably do have some sort of connection to um, you know some. It'll either be uh, well. I think people in the royal family there who, who are wealthy, there'll be some form of connection. I would, I would think, to some government office. I would think generally. Um, but you know, as I said once again, um, you know, the, the Premier League have employed corporate intelligence to to do the due diligence on 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 him, and and they've they've obviously come up with the the idea that he's a wealthy individual rather than part of the government. Um, although he, although I think he, I, I believe I'm not sure exactly, but I think he, he does. He does have some official government position, but I think um, that's not the same as being part of the government. So, so they are different, and and I think the the idea is obviously it's a sovereign sovereign wealth fund, isn't it? The, the PIF, and it's just a, a disagreement, a fundamental disagreement between the Premier League and the PIF about um, who who runs the the um, PIF. But as Simon said, when Mohammed bin Salman's on the board, it would seem difficult to to argue that there wasn't some connection there um and, and it's just whether they've they've obviously not been able to convince the premier league now um i suppose it depends how you feel about takeover really whether you agree with that or not if you're desperate for it to go through um then i'm sure you you see that as that as unfair but if you probably um think the premier league may have a point then then you'd say yeah then um, then, then that is fun but obviously they are different situations I do think that as well I think we've all got swept up in the emotion of it um, to an extent but taking a step back I think in in years and months to come I think Kieran's point there was absolutely right you know they've known now since July especially since they withdrew that it wasn't going to go through at this point as far as I'm concerned that the, the PIF are committed to the deal there's no doubt about that they do want the deal to happen but they, what they said to us in July, I think we all got the briefing, you know, everybody, everybody who they would speak to anybody at the time, um, they said that they'd probably only come back to the table if they felt that it was definitely going to go through. They'd only come back to the table if they got assurances that it was going to go through. Well, you know, for all the talk that they thought it was going to happen on Tuesday, well, did they get those assurances? Because <clears throat> I don't see how that's possible. I don't see how anybody is saying that they thought the deal was going to go through on Tuesday when the Premier League said today that it hadn't even reached the stage where the board were considering it. If the people behind the consortium are so clued up on the process that they felt it was going to happen on Tuesday, they thought they were going to get accepted on Tuesday, how did they not know that it hadn't even gone to the board yet? That's that's what I don't quite understand is I feel that there's maybe people around the consortium who are not fully appraised of exactly where things are going and are maybe getting it second or third hand. Um, and, you know, that those are the people who are maybe the ones who um, are getting, you know, maybe thought it was going to happen on Tuesday. And and I'm not saying that they're wrong, but I'm saying that it, it typifies this process that it's not clear, even to people who are really close to the consortium, exactly what's going to happen, what, exactly where we stand. So um, really difficult for fans and journalists to know ourselves because you know, we're not part of the consortium. Even people in the consortium don't seem to know. Even Mike Ashley doesn't seem to know because he said it was rejected. And the Premier League is saying it's not rejected. So Mike Ashley doesn't know. How how are fans and journalists been to know? It's, it's just farcical. Well, that, that would be my next question. Now, I've put the, the club statement back up on the screen. This will be the final question on, on this, the Saudi-led uh, takeover. And we'll start with Simon and we'll go around... 
um, Lee, Kieran, just to finish off this part of the show. And it is on what Mark's just said there. Mike Ashley said, the bid is, or Newcastle rather, have said that the bid was rejected. The Premier League have come back and said that is incorrect. So starting with you, Simon, what's happened there? I mean, it, someone's got the, the, the wires crossed somewhere, haven't they? Well, it, it's that statement in that first paragraph, the writing was a bit small, so I had to get my, my glasses on. Um, but that statement saying it, they failed it on the basis of the owners and directors test, it's clearly absolute nonsense because it, it's, not, it's not gone that far. It's not gone before the board. It's not gone through the owners, ownership and directors test. So maybe he thinks the fact that they just they won't take it that far is means it's rejected on the owners and directors test. But you're splitting hairs. It's just factually incorrect. Lee? Yeah, what, what, what was that? Was that on the athletic, was it? The, about it being... No, but I'm just, I'm just talking about the... Yeah, about was it? First of all, and then the Premier League coming back and saying... Was it in the Athletic, though, that they said they were expecting it was going to go through on Tuesday? Yes, I think that was where the right. original source that, came from, yeah. That's what you think was incorrect, OK. No, well, yeah, I mean, look, there's been a lot of talking from the the PIF side, and as Mark points out, they were happy to go around and brief everybody. But for me, and I know Mark agrees with this one as well, it's, it's one of them where <laughs> you can talk all you want. But, but the money is is the, what what gets it done, and then you can do all these things that you, you plan to do: move the Alan Shearer sta- the statue back in the stadium, put Shearer's name back on the bar, get the fans into a proper organised fan group. You know, um, you can do all those things when you buy the club, when you put the money on the table. Uh, the Premier League have said they've asked them for some conditions and some information, and they haven't been able to provide it yet. So, it, look, it, it's got to be the people who are trying to bid. They've, they've got to stop talking the talk and walk the walk and, and do it properly. And if you've got these investors around you, go and find them, get the money together. And if he, Mike Ashley, is a willing seller, then he'll sell uh, because he, he says he wants to. So let's let's hope that, you know, people can go away and get this right this time because we all now we've learned more about the owners and directors test than any subject I, I studied at school I, I know about this there was, there was an A level in this then I'd, yeah, I'd probably get an A star you know the owners and directors test but at the end of the day it's 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 up to these people now to go away and get this de- get this deal done um, and just hope there's a, there's a brighter future but for now they've got to concentrate on football because you can easily get sucked into a relegation battle it doesn't take much it only takes a, a run of about 12-15 games you know without a win and suddenly you're staring the championship in the face it's an unforgiving division and uh, you know now we've won the Premier League up as well um, you know they won't have much sympathy for, for us either you don't take on the league even, even if you're a Sunday league team you do not go to your committee meetings and kick off with them and try and take them on because somebody will come back with a backlash and you know when you're appealing red cards and postponements it doesn't suddenly it just doesn't go in your favour so I just think taking on a taking on a complete division on the back of one statement within a day they've come back and effectively said it was incorrect goodness knows what the season holds I just hope that people can calm down and uh, we can concentrate on football Just finally keeping your take on that I mean like we say Ash when Newcastle said it had been rejected Premier League says it was incorrect yeah, it, it just 
it's frustrating because you think when a club statement comes out, it's gone through a few pairs of eyes, and you know they're they're hundred percent on everything, and um, you know the the understanding I had certainly was that you know it never come to being rejected, nor had it been accepted. So it, they they chose to withdraw. This is the point we have to keep reemphasizing. You know, uh, as keen as they were, they they chose to withdraw, and um, I think. Had it been rejected, they could have obviously formally appealed, but it, ne- it never came to that as far as I as far as I knew. So, yeah, it's very very bizarre. Um, I just I, I'm still getting my head around it. You know, we've we've we actually just to, to see, like I said, him kind of use the club as a vehicle in that way to put out that statement didn't didn't really go down well with me personally. I just think it's it it's almost you know potentially smeared the club you know I, I you know when when fans are back you know as, as Lee said we might joke about it you know will there be more Monday night away trips for Newcastle fans but you know it just I just didn't think it was a good look really I think if Ashley wants to put out a statement like that he should be going out on the record he should be you know standing standing in front of journalists you know he's, he's never obviously done anything with the Northeast press for a reason um, I just it, it didn't really go down well with me you know Welcome, John. And he had the chance, didn't he? He, he had the chance yesterday <laughs> to speak to speak to the media. It was all set up. All the journalists were there. If he had something to say, he could have sat down and said it. So that, for me, says sometimes if you're not going to be forthcoming, it's not because you're not good at interviews or you don't like doing the press. Maybe you're hiding something or trying to hide something and you don't want to be quizzed. And in 13 years, that's a little bit suspicious that you don't want to stand up in front of some journalists and just take some questions. Have some nouse about you. Take some questions. And we've all we've all tried to get him to speak. I know Simon's gone to some incredible lengths going undercover and in disguise to sports direct meetings. All, all great stuff. And he still wouldn't speak. So it's look, it's it it, it really frustrates me as a writer, but I don't think I'm alone in that. I think you've got a press room full of people who who get frustrated with it. Um, well, I was going to ask about the media day. You, you guys met um, the new signings yesterday. Well, just on that point, Mike Ashley landing by helicopter, very much out of the blue. What happened? I mean, you guys obviously seen it come down. What happened? Were you guys already out of the, the room? Were you ushered away? What What happened once he touched down? Well, we the, quite a few people had left, um, and a few of us were chatting. Uh, we and in the in the training barn at the training ground. And we could hear the helicopter coming in. We thought that's either Mike Ashley or it's a new signing who's very expensive. So I think the Sky guys were there and there were three or four who saw, who saw him come in. Um, Steve Bruce gave him a big greeting. Lee Charlie, Lee Charlie saw him. Um, and they, they walked through the interview room where we'd been two minutes earlier. <laughs> the press officer were in a slight panic because they had, the, um, they had the, the helicopter tracker on so they could hear it, they could see it coming knew it was a few minutes away and they had a room full of 30 journalists <laughs> at the training ground so it was a minor panic on and they managed to get most of us out before before we landed um, it's a quite a sight seeing the helicopter land mate it's a, if you're anything into sort of techie stuff like that it's, it's an amazing sight it's even more amazing to see Mike actually walk off the, the, the helicopter in person as well and actually show some interest or be around the club um, which is what a lot of people have argued needs to happen he needs to the one thing that encouraged me is if he is to stay in charge sort of long term or for the next year for this season it is encouraging the kind of relationship he's got with Steve Bruce 
I've always thought that Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce are kind of similar people and they can get on. And I know in, back in January, they had a very long meeting at a hotel in Newcastle and lasted all morning, past lunchtime, discussing transfers. And that doesn't, that, you know, I think Steve Bruce is such a humane kind of people person that, that he can talk to Mike Ashley on the right level and explain what he needs very directly, why he needs it. Uh, and I think Mike Ashley is the kind of person who can work with Steve Bruce. That's the one good good thing I see of, of, of Steve Bruce being in charge with, with Mike Ashley. Maybe he can encourage him to get a bit more out of the club and, and spend a bit more. Lee, then they had a they went out for a meal um, last night. Um, slightly different to the one with Rafa Benitez, who's a, a bit more um, under the radar. Um, but a, a positive, a positive note to to see, you know, everyone interact and ahead of the the new season. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's great that you know, as a as a squad and the manager and the the chief executive, they've all gone out and they, you know they they've done something like that. Um, you know, maybe they should have publicised it a little bit more and you know just showed people that they they were a bit more together and that you know there is a there is a bit of a football club going on there it's just these radical um decisions to to take on you know the premier league in in, in between you in between your um courses at lunch it's it's just a bit a little bit crazy um but look i think mike ashley he's been here a long time now um we haven't achieved anything really apart from that european season um, it, it's you. They don't like the word when you say it in your in your reports. When you say the club are stagnating, they don't like that. But the reality is, I think if you look at the ten or twelve years before Mike Ashley come, they were qualified for Europe at least the UEFA Cup or the Champions League or or Cup Winners Cup, whatever the equivalent was. They got the one of those. Um, they got one of those things. They got the major finals as well. So one fifth place finish in thirteen years. Would would suggest to me that you know you, you you don't understand how we run this football club, then that's the top and bottom of it. And you know we would that's a question we would put to his face. You know we're not saying anything on here. We wouldn't say it to his face. Um, but the reality is, you know they they don't like to get face to face with you around the table too much because, as I say, they they, they try to keep things under wraps. Um, and that's 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 what you would like to just probe them that little bit more on. Uh, a few people in the comments saying, you know, Steve Bruce is Mike Ashley's puppet. Um, well, that's a little bit unfair, though, isn't it? Because clearly something has changed at Newcastle United with this transfer window. They are signing players that a couple of years ago they probably wouldn't have had the outlay on. We've seen all the players get big contracts, which again, we probably wouldn't have seen a few years ago. So um, that's not fair because, I mean, that would have come from Steve Bruce, who's gone in and said, look, I want some experience. I want, and that only comes when you do buy a twenty-year, twenty-nine-year-old. Yeah, I think I think. Look, Steve Bruce is he's not. You know, I think you only have to look at his his record in management, and and especially the way that he was at Hull City, to know that he's not afraid to to stand up to to stand up to an owner. But he also took a job last summer where he knew he knew what the situation was. So he's not. It's it's not a case of him being a puppet. It's a case of him going into it with his eyes open. So he wasn't going to kick off at, at Mike Ashley last summer for, or, or the situation last summer for, for effectively, you know, he, he didn't have much say in those players who came in. I mean, Andy Carroll, he did, he did a little bit, didn't he? I think he drove that one. 
Um, but the others, Jolinton, Alan Smaxman, weren't his, weren't his buys. But don't expect him to come in and, and, and speak like Rafa Benitez did about it because he knew he knew those players were coming in. That, that's you know he's 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 practically experienced as well. He he, he knew um, what, what how things work, and and I think you know if you if you speak to to managers, you know the LMA are really clear and they they do a lot of training on saying that the most important relationship for for you at a football club is actually with your your owner it's not it's not even you know that is the most important relationship and you have to cultivate that when you have to work it now obviously rafa had a different way of working he's that as that has been how he's worked at all the different clubs he, he likes a bit of that tension um, but steve bruce has, has has worked it a different way you know he didn't spend he, did, he, he told them not to spend money in January on players. I mean, they were going to sign Samara, obviously, but um, who would have been would have been a great buy, I think. Um, but other than that, they did loan deals. He he knew that there were going to be money to spend in the in the um, in this transfer window. Um, and I think his biggest achievement so far is the Callum Wilson thing. But I think what what's been interesting and what what shouldn't be forgotten is that he's gone in the Sealy Charlie and spelled it out in no uncertain terms that they're going to be in a massive battle if they don't bring in somebody who's going to score goals. And he's managed to convince them of that um, and, and bring in a 28-year-old. Now, you know, for all the, the previous managers, you know, every other manager who's who's been there and Mike Ashley has asked for similar things and not got it. So he's done something right there. Um, and it's and to have done it in the backdrop of all this takeover stuff that, you know, I won't mention the T word anymore, but to have done it in that, against that backdrop, when Mike Ashley had effectively checked out, I think really is 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 impressive. It does show that they they do have some faith in him, and I think they appreciated the job that he did last season. I know a lot of fans, you know, quite rightly, I think, point out the flaws that, that were there last season. But I think the ownership, I think they knew, um, especially after the first few weeks, that this was going to be a big struggle last season. And actually, it wasn't a relegation battle in the end, and they did get to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Um, and they did beat some of the top top four and top six. While it wasn't the season that anybody wanted in terms of some of the performances and things, they did do quite well. And I think he's been repaid for that. And I think the other thing to, to note, just the final thing I'd say, is I don't think there was a lot of value in the, in this transfer window. So I don't think they could go out and spend 20 to £25 million pound on a striker who was 26, 24, who would have scored the goal. So I think there's been a little bit of practical, you know, there's been a little bit of, you know, facing facts, I think, this summer. Um, and realising that, you know, if they didn't do what they did with Callum Wilson, then there wasn't really anybody else out there. You know, they look, they took a look at Ollie Watkins, best part of 30 million, not a, not a guaranteed, not a guarantee for goals. They looked at Eze, who's ended up with Crystal Palace, you know, again, more expensive um, and no guarantee that he's going to come in and, and, and do it either. So, you know, I think, I think to be fair to him, he's, he's, he's won them over. Uh, but I think maybe there was a finally a bit of realisation that, you know what they were searching for in the transfer market for a striker just doesn't exist. You're not going to get a 20 million pound striker for 26 who's going to score you potentially 10, 15 Premier League goals. You mentioned Samari there. Reports today from Europe that Newcastle have had a bid rejected and a 35 million pound bid rejected for him. No, Lee shaking his head. There's the answer. No truth in that. They are, they are, they are in. They've got a long-term interest in the player, but. I was told from somebody at the club today that there's been no no bid slapped in. And also last night, as, as Mark will tell you, because we had the conversation, they, they, are, they, are, they are saying they have done the bulk of the work. There might be a couple more loan players coming in. If certain players as well move out, there may be a little bit more money available. And they might get injuries. You've got potentially three League Cup games 
this month um, because of the format of the, the the season. So it could be um, some players coming in, but um, no, that that reported bid in I think it was in France um, didn't 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 occur. But are they interested in the player? They've got a long term interest in him. They tried to sign him in January, so um, it's it's not a name you can dismiss in the long term. Kieran, we'll start with Calvin Wilson then. What the one people are probably most excited about? Um, a very good player that Newcastle have got in, especially given the fact that the takeover collapsed. And you know, Mike actually could have used that as an excuse not to spend twenty million. You could have just seen him get another loan player in, but he's gone out and he said, you know, I'll back Steve Bruce. And he's got in a player that was wanting out some good time. And if this, it seems to be, you know, he's a proven Premier League goal scorer. Yeah, I think he's one of those signs. Had they been taken over and they brought him in, you'd be like, "Oh, that's that's a really good signing." So to get him in in this situation, I think uh, fair play, absolutely. And we saw what Salman Ramdon did in one season at Newcastle, um, and I think you know Wilson has the pedigree to to hit double figures. And you know, to put that into perspective, I know it's it seems like the minimum he'd asked of a striker, but Shelby was their top scorer last season in the league, six goals, you know, and. We all know how much they struggled with goals, but for them to actually get someone like that in, it's it's a really big deal. And I think what's what's great is about the additions. You know, someone like Isaac Hayden looks around, he sees these guys coming in, sends the right message. Someone like Anson Maxman, you know, eases the burden on him. You know, he's going to develop further this season. And when he sees, you know, potential game changers like Fraser and Wilson coming in, you know, it it does excite you because. Uh, you know, that starting team you're looking at, it's, it, in a lot of areas, there's the pace, there's the power, uh, and there's some some actual quality in the final third, and that's what they really needed. And I know everyone could see that, but to actually uh, see the, the board, you know, listen to the manager and, and actually follow through in a really difficult window, um, it's really encouraging because I think when we all heard the budget had been slashed so dramatically, um, you were fearing the worst, you know, literally a week before the season starts and you're thinking, you know, will they have a, a striker to put out? You know, will, will Andy Carroll be able to, to play 90 minutes um, of, a, of a top flight game? And to see them be so aggressive and get that much business done in a matter of, you know, it was over the weekend, really, everything just sped up. It, it's really good. And uh, I think each of those additions, like we said, they, they enhance the squad and we haven't always been able to say that about Newcastle signs, you know, they need time to settle but all those guys are Premier League experience and you can't really put a price on that when you have such a short turnaround so, uh, you know, it's it's been been a remarkable few days and the window's gone from, you know, maybe a, a 4 out of 10 or a 3 out of 10 to, to an 8, you know, so uh, yeah, remarkable. And Simon, I guess the other important thing is, is that Callum Wilson is a Newcastle United player. He's, he's a permanent player. So there's no fear of him doing really well and then getting to the summer next summer and you've got, a, you've got an agent saying, oh, I want X amount more money for him per week. And, and, and Bournemouth perhaps saying, oh, it was 15, but now it's 20. You know, it, it, it's, it's a good thing. And they can plan further than next summer because he is a Newcastle United permanent player. Yeah, and, and Callum Wilson, speaking to him yesterday, is, is planning for this to be a four-year project for him he talked about already having 41 Premier League goals and how at the end of this um, end of this spell at Newcastle in four years he wants to be on 100 Premier League goals which is one of only uh, only 20, 29 other players have done that in, in Premier League history so 
He, he's set his top, he's, he seemed like a really smart, intelligent, focused guy. He, he, he came up with that line for us and, and he clearly thought about what he wants from this move. He also said that when he had various different options over the last few months uh, to move to, he actually he looked at the squads, he studied the squads, studied Villa squad, Newcastle squad, uh, and he, he, he genuinely thought that Newcastle, with the creativity they've got, Sam Maxim, Joel Linton, he, he mentioned Almiron, all those creative players, Shelby, who can unlock defences. He, he, he made the calculation that he was best off coming to Newcastle to score goals. So he clearly has a bit of faith in the squad that's already here that he's joining. Um, so he did. All the guys who we spoke to yesterday, the new players, um, seemed really, you know, made up to be here. And it wasn't, you know, you, you accuse some players of saying it's just coming just for the money or the lifestyle or whatever. They, they, they generally thought Newcastle and spoke about Newcastle being a real pull. Obviously, there's no fans at the minute, but Wilson also spoke about uh, when, when Joe Linton scored against Bournemouth and he was he was on the pitch at the other end and he just looked around the stadium and, and you know, marvelled at the noise and thought, God, if I, if I was playing for this club, you know, imagine what it would be like scoring a goal with that noise. And he's come from Bournemouth with 11,000 fans. So, you know, the, St James's Park in Newcastle is still a big pull for players and they're doing well to get them in and two points at one point what would make is that you know this is it's not Mike Ashley's generosity this is the club's own budget you know it's the fans money it's the TV money that they get from the Premier League which is paying for these transfers not not Ashley's loans from Ashley or whatever so but it's good that they've spent it and it's good that they've been pragmatic and decided to go for an older an older player in, in Wilson who's proven and it's, it, hopefully we'll work out and he'll stay fit and he'll get double figures as quick as possible, maybe up to 15 goals this year. That's what he said. He said something like eight goals, not something he wants to be associated with. He wants double figures. Lee, you were there as well. You spoke to Ryan Fraser and he spoke to Mark Little. You both really well from what I saw in the interviews and what I read um, on our website. Uh, for you, how did you, how did you, um, what were your thoughts on them when you were speaking to them? Yeah, I mean, all, all three players seemed very switched on. They'd, they obviously had a lot of football knowledge generally and uh, I, th- I think that they're all going to link up well you know because Wilson and um, Fraser have already got that relationship I think Lewis on the left hand side of the pitch is, is going to be a terrific acquisition because he's ready to play now he can just go straight into the team he knows what the Premier League's all about he's a very bright young player and it was you know, it was really interesting to, to sit and speak to all three of them. You, you, let's be honest, you don't normally get um, 15, 20 minutes with a player because they're normally getting rushed through stadiums, getting thrown on the, on the bus and through airports, things like that. We don't normally get this much time to sit down with players to, to do these interviews at length and to, to do three in a row um, and spend, you know, the best part of an hour and a bit talking to these lads was uh, was a real really good experience and refreshing because we've been doing a lot of things while these Zoom interviews have been very good don't get me wrong there's nothing better than you know face to face contact with players um, and, and getting to know them that way because sometimes after a bad result as, as everybody on here will know sometimes they have to face the music after a defeat and you know they need to get used to talking to you to convey a message to the supporters which is what, what it's all about so I think we've got three good signings uh, on board now and, and I hope that they're going to link well not just the three yesterday obviously Jeff Hendrick as well um, very good player coming in from 
from Burnley. And there's still there's a lot of quality in and around the squad already, you know. Miguel Almiron, um, you know, Matt Ritchie's a real battle out. I'm pleased he's staying. Andy Carroll is, is due a Premier League goal or two. So hopefully um we can get some good results. And that's what it's all about, really. It's about talking about football and getting wins and um, you know, impressing the supporters. Kieran, we'll go to this question. Yeah, big one from Josh Blake. Oh um how does Ashton play this season considering how realistic a sale seems to be at some point in the near future? Last season, we ended up with four wins in 21 games. If that rot continues with the talk of Ashley checking out, does he act decisively, quickly and protect his asset? Or are we seeing the ultimate gamble, uh, the ultimate gambler in Ashley this year? Um, because I suppose the form coming in, like Josh says, there, it is something like, I think it's four in, um, as he says, 21, 22 games. So not brilliant um, what do you make of that I'll leave it on the screen for people to read but what do you make of that, that comment yeah no I think there's there's a recognition from Bruce from a few of the players that you know the way the end of the season wasn't wasn't right you know yeah safety had long been secured I think it was before COVID if we're honest you know with that win at Southampton um, and you kind of it was weird. Their wins were really impressive during the restart. You know, the Sheffield United game, the Bournemouth game, you know, they were two of some of Newcastle's best performances all season, but some of the defeats were, were really tough watches. You know, the Man City game, I don't think anyone will want to rewatch that, but um, I'd like to think, you know, the, the quality they've added, um, the few players come back from injury admittedly, they've got Dubravka, that's, that's a huge blow, but uh, they, they have the tools in place in some ways Bruce has no excuse now to to start playing the way he wants to play I think we all actually want to see that you know what what does he actually want from this team you know we want to see them pressing higher up the pitch we want to see them carry more of a goal there where they're not relying on the counter attack and we saw elements of that when he went to the back four but to see on a consistent basis is, is the next challenge for him and I think he will be given time to um to, to implement that, you know, I don't think uh, upstairs were necessarily shaken in their boots, you know, even after that Leicester defeat, you know, that 5-0, I think they they realised in, in their head anyway what, what a difficult job it was going to be. And I think Bruce is one of those characters who doesn't get carried away when, you know, Newcastle have a great run of form and equally he tries not to get, you know, when they're, <laughs> had a tough run he, he didn't get too down either he's kind of one of his skills has kind of been in between and I think um, I think you know Ashley will want to as you said protect his asset but partly why they probably have been able to press the button on those deals is is with that in mind because if Newcastle didn't invest this summer even with their own money um, you look at those teams in and around them like Brighton like Everton like Southampton they've made some really good signings so I think it was really important at the very least, they brought in these players because you're not going into this like a year ago thinking it's just about surviving. You're thinking, can they actually go top 10? And that subtle difference between looking up and down is, is huge. So um, I'd like to think, you know, they can make a real top 10 challenge and build on that, that 13th place finish or 14th, whatever it was. Fantastic. Right. We'll get on to the West Ham game then to finish off. But just quickly, Lee, you mentioned getting rid of some of the Deadwood um, is anyone near to the extra? We know Lejeune's going to go out on loan, um, but you've got the likes of Muto, Save on big wages. And we keep, we, I think we've talked about this the last few summers and probably the last few windows, um, especially with Mr. Save. Um, 
are they struggling again to get the, the players who aren't in the first team um, you know off the off the books well I think in answer to your question I think Lejeune is the, the closest one to the exit door with that loan move which we reported yesterday to, to Alaves in, in Spain and um, probably better for him to go there and play a full season rather than you know being in and out of the team because um, he's had some horrendous luck I don't think he was ever properly injured before he, he come to Newcastle which is uh, very unfortunate but but you know some of the other ones you mentioned there I can I can honestly see them some of them being paid off um, if they can't get them a club I think they'll, they'll cut them a deal and just say last year your contract would you take this amount of money um, just so we can clear clear the space and you know it's it can't I know they've they were offered the contract at the club and they signed them but you know it's it's blocking up places in the club's sort of youth system and the under 23 it's denying people a chance to get on the fringes um, because these players are in and around it and if they've got no future here then there's no point in being here so if there is a way of cutting them a deal if you can't find them a club then maybe that I think it happened with Key didn't it uh, last season they, they got, got rid of him and um, I think that we might see one or two of them uh, before before the, the window is, is closed and you know people like Rolando Aarons have been at this club a long time now I think he's done the same interview every pre-season saying that this is going to be his year and sadly he hasn't looked like that player that we, we've seen breaking through I think it was the the Schalke tournament wasn't it in 2014 when he looked fantastic and then we went down to Man City and beat them in the cup 2-0 and he scored that night um, but he, he, injuries have, have taken its toll and um, it's unfortunate but you know you've got to start looking at the future now there's some good there's a couple of good youngsters in the under 23s but they're going to need a chance to, to impress so you have to get the balance right around the squad a few people are just saying, "Has Mike, there's, a, there's a worry from some that Mike Ash has spent all this money and he, that Alan's at maximum or I mean one might be out the door, but we can't see that happening, can we? Anybody, is everyone going to shake their heads? We think them two will be, yeah. For those never listening, never. Say that everyone's yeah. quietly confident that they'll remain the Cast United players. Um, on to the West Ham game then. Um, I'm just going to put up the team quickly that our readers have picked. Um, you can see it there on the screen. Um, that is kind of the starting eleven. If everyone was fit, we assume Ryan Fraser probably won't be. Um, and I put Dollar in there because most people pick the Bravka, but obviously Dollar is uh, is going to probably play in place of the Bravka. That team, gents, um, is that the team that you would probably see starting minus Fraser um, on Saturday? Uh, Mark, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I, th- I think it's unlikely Fraser is going to play because he's, you know, I, I think Lee wrote it a couple of um, just before he signed actually about him being uh, not match fit. He, he pulled out the Scotland setup and obviously said in the in the um, media day the other day, you know, ninety percent uh, only ninety percent fit. He thought. Um, so I think maybe Jacob Murphy potentially looked like he did well in the in the preseason games, and you know we haven't seen any, so we wouldn't know because they've been all behind closed doors. But it sounded like. Um, he, he, he did pretty well in the clips you saw he, he was doing okay as well so maybe, maybe he might get a chance um, but yeah they should, they've got to go there and really I mean, it's, it's been a ground where they've done quite well really in recent years obviously they won last year they, they, they won and uh, Rafa as well um, lost in between didn't they with Declan Rice had a, a really good game that, um, in between the two those two matches but 
they've got nothing to lose there. I mean, that would be my team. Yeah, I, I think defensively, ironically, that, that you know, I do have some question marks over them at the moment. It, it conceded a lot of goals in pre-season, um, so that is a question. I think they were hoping to have Rob Holding involved um, on Saturday, but obviously that's that's not going to happen now, and he's not he's not going to join because of the injuries that they've got um, uh, at Arsenal. So yeah, I, do you know? Really, I'm. I'm really. I, we haven't talked too much about Jamal Lewis in this in this uh, Q and A. I think I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of teams in the Premier League now have these fullbacks who push on and are almost, you know, attacking options of their own. And Newcastle haven't really had that. They had it a little bit with Jetro Williams last season, but obviously, you know, he, he can play in all kinds of uh, positions. He, you know, primarily a wing back. Um, but they had. They didn't really have it in between when he when he went down. His injury pulled them. I I would. I would actually pull Dummett become a centre centre half. I think he's got he's got it in him to be a really top class Premier League centre half. Um, and and you know, unfortunately for him, there's kind of like you know defenders who defend at left back aren't really you know aren't really the, the uh, you know a tactical option anymore. So Jamal Lewis, I think, is going to be a really interesting one to watch. A really exciting player. I think that that's a that's a, a really good signing for Newcastle. Um, you know, he was going to go to Liverpool. I think. Um, couple of weeks ago really it was was only a few weeks ago that he was going to Liverpool and now he's pitched up at Newcastle United so that's really interesting but yeah I'm I'm excited about Saturday and I didn't think I was going to be saying that a week ago I think a lot of people are just for those who are listening later the team there is uh, Darlo, Lascelles, Fernandez, Mancrillo on the right Lewis on the left Um, Fraser on the right but we assume Fraser won't start so maybe Murphy and then Shelby Hayden, Sir Maximum Almiron behind Wilson uh, Simon, what are you most looking forward to about Saturday's kickoff? Well, I mean, discerning readers there, I think that's the, that's the spot on team. It would be interesting if we could actually um, make that a reality and have, have, have your readers pick the team for Steve Ruth for real one day. Um, but Fraser won't play. He's, he's still not fit. He can do fitness tests rather than training. So I was, I was wondering if you'd move Almiron to where you have Fraser and then put Sean Longstaff in that number 10-ish role, that energetic, pushed-on number 10 role, which I think has got big potential for for, for Longstaff this year. I think, I think he played it against Bournemouth uh, when they were really going for their defence and pressing hard on them. And I think he's got the legs and energy to, to excel in that role and maybe score a few goals from it. So I'd like to see him in that role. Um, I'm looking forward to the first game of the season. That's really... Uh, it's, it would be so nice for Newcastle to just get some points on the ball a couple of early wins and not be in that like bottom five crow it's a crisis club what's going to happen in October international break thing which you always have it would just say just a couple of easy wins to relax it and then let people grow into the club and then find a system that works and um, I'm wondering if Newcastle can become a stronger club because of this pandemic because it's people say it's well run obviously it's well run and they don't spend a lot spend too much money they don't gamble and loan money to buy players in this pandemic, with um, with budgets being squeezed everywhere, and I do wonder whether Newcastle's firepower in the transfer market, half the clubs haven't spent anything yet, um, is going to be going to be crucial, and they, they could actually come through this season stronger. Um, top ten's got to be the aim. Um, get us fifty points if they can. That's got to be another big aim, and, and hugely target the Carabao Cup, which a lot of clubs will not be interested in and take their eye off the ball this year. And if they can have a proper bash at that and, and get to a final, just a bit of excitement in the semi-final, just do that and, and, and get get people get people happy again. That's what I want. 
Lee, you'll be heading down to West Ham. The stadium, when the, it's full, is not exactly the most uh, welcoming stadium. It's not one that's on the list of many people to go to. So when it's empty, it's going to be particularly strange as well. But I just want to ask you first about Dan Barlaza. A lot of people impressed with him. Uh, the Rotherham manager, again, is state that he'd love to sign him, but, you know, um, he's waiting to see what Steve Bruce does. Do you think there's a chance for, for Dan Barlaza to, to break into that first-team squad? Well, I think the, the fact you've got this um, League Cup schedule sort of condensed into, into the September month, really, uh, gives Barlaza a chance before the deadline to, to have a couple of games in the first team um, I, I don't see him figuring from the start in the, the Premier League I'd be, I'd be doubtful like, even on the bench at West Ham um, but I think definitely that Blackburn Rovers game in the Cup uh, would be a real opportunity to hand him a start he's, he started a first team game at Newcastle before in, in other Cups but he comes back and probably a bit of a different player because of the experience he's grown up now um, he's got such a great technical game around him um, he can pick out a pass it's now or never for him really because it would be a bit of an insult for, to, to like keep him at the club and not use him for the rest of the season so it, it's basically you, you give him a chance he grasps it in them cup games and gives you something to think about in the Premier League or you, you be honest and you send him out on loan um, and, and give him the opportunity you cannot starve the kid of, of games because he's been there before when he was at crew um you know he went down there and he wasn't really ready and he come back to newcastle and sadly um you know things didn't work out so he's, he's been given a bit of a lifeline i hope he does well but um for me the league cup games are the ones to keep an eye on and hopefully he can have a little run in the team before deadline day and saturday what are you most looking most forward to for newcastle at west ham well <laughs> If, you could, if they could repeat the performance he had last season down there that's honestly that was the first half of that game was one of the best I've seen a Newcastle team in the Premier League perform they absolutely blitzed West Ham and I think it should have been about 5 or 6 and I think St Maximin had two one-on-ones it was just unbelievable um, and then second half we got brought back down to earth and West Ham nearly nearly snatched a draw which was again typical Newcastle so Look, if they can repeat that against West Ham, then um, they've got every chance. And with the stadium being empty, it might just play into Newcastle's hands. Um, when the fixture list was published, I thought that's a good first game for Newcastle. Um, it's it's not against one of the top four, top five. It's, it's a winnable game. And um, it might just set the tone for the season. Kieran, and many people want Callum Wilson to start. He's got a good record against West Ham. He's fit. He, he seems raring to go. What does that mean for Joe Linton, though? Because, you know, he's kept the number nine shirt, which many people thought he wouldn't do. Um, what of Joe Linton? I mean, he's not a bad asset to come off the bench, is he? No, well, I suppose he's not had the best preseason either in the fact that he's he's not been able to train with the group and, and play many games, you know, for the large spell of it. So I, just when you're thinking, you know, the benefit of a full preseason for someone like Sun Maximum, uh, you contrast that with Joe Linton, who really needed, you know, that that kind of program to to have the best possible chance of having the best possible start to the season. Um, yeah, I mean, you're looking at. I think Bruce in his head will will be toying with the idea of maybe using 
Wilson and Joe Linton together in some games or maybe, you know, throwing them on together. You obviously have Carroll as well, who's, who's definitely got a role to play. But um, I think for me, what you want to see from Joe Linton this season more is just that he has a role and that he has a role that suits him and a system that suits him. I think these signs will be, just as they're good for Sam Maximum, they'll be good for him because uh, if Wilson's playing, you know, the onus will be on Joe Linton that, yeah, you can come deep, you can do those link-ups that he's actually quite good at. Um, I think Wilson, yeah, you know, I wouldn't bet against him scoring uh, on his debut. I think it's a really good time to play West Ham. Uh, while Newcastle's preseason has been chaotic, they haven't had it particularly good either. Um, you're having their own captain going out on social media. We were talking about statements earlier about them selling one of their best young players to West Brom. So, um, in, in some ways, it's a really good time to play them. And Yeah, I think with that team you, you put up, it'd be interesting if, you know, whether Richie might come in for Fraser or whether he might play three midfielders and put Hendrick in the centre or maybe play him on the right even. Um, that would be quite interesting because... I think Bruce now has the flexibility finally to be able to play a few different systems rather than being so rigid. So um, I think you'll see maybe different things on the road to at home, maybe, but we'll see. It's great to have that element of choice as well in the middle. Um, before <laughs> yeah. I finish then, just quickly to go around, I would like to get your score predictions for Saturday. Start with you, Mark. God, I always hate these. Oh, it's, it's happening, so go on. <laughs> I always hate these. Um, I think Newcastle could go there and win. I'm going to say 2-1. Simon? Uh, a chaotic opening 2 all draw. Lee? I just think that the way David Moyes sets up his teams and the defensive shambles that, that has been West Ham in pre-season gives Newcastle a good chance. I, I think Newcastle can go there and win 3-1. I think everyone would take that definitely. And, and you and finally? Yeah, I think it'll be a bit a mad topsy-turvy one I think a bit like the last season's game so I'll go 3-2 again to Newcastle yeah fantastic and the final question then for all of you we'll go around again um, just sum up um, out of 10 the transfer window and what you think the aim should be realistically for this club um, over the next season we'll start with Mark um, so far in the transfer window I would say um, 8 out of 10 um, it can always change. It's still three weeks to go, so that, that number could go up or down. Um, I think the aim this season should be to, to finish in the top half of the Premier League and have a run in uh, one of the Cups, um, preferably the League Cup, because I think that's the one that the top teams don't take quite so seriously. So you might get to the quarterfinal stage and not face a Manchester City team like Newcastle did last time. Uh, but top half and a run in one of the Cups, I think, is uh, a good a good aim uh, if they can finish in the top eight I think they've done really really well Simon uh, yeah well um, I think the aim sorry what was the question again it was the it was the, we had the transfer window at 10 and then the aim for the rest yeah, of the season. Was, the season yeah so the transfer window I would say has been a 7 out of 10 so far um, I'd like to see you know Rob Hall <laughs> and you couldn't write that he's gone again Lee I'll let you step in there um, your <laughs> your rating for the transfer window so far and the season aim? I, I think eight out of ten. I think that's it's been you know some good signings in and potentially more to come. So eight out of ten for the window where the aim for the season has got to be realistically top ten uh, with these players. 
that we've got in and on the back of last season when, you know, Steve Bruce said it himself, I'm not content with 13th place. Well, you know, higher up is, you know, got to be pushing for top 10. I don't think they're good enough to, to get into Europe, um, but they can certainly... Look, you could be in the quarterfinals of the League Cup by the end of this month. So it's, it's, it's worth staying focused on it. It would keep your season alive until December, being in the quarterfinals, and then anything can happen. So it's got to be a good cup run and definitely, you know, try and get in the top 10. Imagine if Newcastle got to the final of a cup this year or a semi-final with no fans there. It'd be oh. absolutely <laughs> devastating. Well, that you? was the fear last season, wasn't it? We get into the final of the FA Cup. It would have been, it would have been in one hand, terrible but yeah but yeah hopefully we'll get fans back in sooner rather than later Kieran um, let's, I don't think Simon's going to make it back on you wrap up the show with your prediction and your rating for the transfer window so far yeah I'm terribly boring but I give it an 8 as well I just think it's been refreshing in a weird way that they've been sensible about this and, and just gone for for proven players and um, you know I think they'll, they'll bring a lot to the team and, and those additions are what they needed and the season yeah I think it, you know they it was a weird one with the Cups because uh, you know home against Leicester was a tough draw in the, the first goal at the Carabao Cup but then the FA Cup they had really good draws up until the Man City so it really just depends on the draw but I think they, they have to go and try and get into the, the you know the last day and you never know then you can get to the last four and then you can have a Wembley semi-final if it's the FA Cup. So um, you've seen what Bruce has done with, with Hull City. This is arguably one of the, the best squads he'll, he'll have worked with. So I think you know the minimum requirement for me would be that they, they really are challenging right up until the last game. You know, that it doesn't drop off with six or seven games to go and that they can push for the top 10. Um, and yeah, it'd be, it'd be amazing to see them get far in the Cups because... Last season was obviously an anomaly compared to the previous, you know, whatever, 10, 12 years. And I think it'd be just great to have that great cup tradition that Newcastle have coming back again because that's what the fans really want. Indeed. Well, gents, thank you very much for joining us. To those watching, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please like and subscribe to the podcast channel or the YouTube channel, the Instagram. We're on every platform um, so you can see our lovely faces on most social media. Um, head over to Chronicle Live where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news, including the press conference tomorrow with Steve Bruce and the live game on Saturday evening as well. In the meantime, keep safe and thank you very much for joining us. So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything Is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening.